currently ran out of Bibles, so we're going to be ordering some more. We should be here next week. So if you don't have a Bible right now, sit by somebody who does so you can share. You're not going to get very much from the study unless you're able to follow along in in the Bible. So um, just some encouragement for you. We were visiting with us this morning. We are finishing a series uh, on the Holy Spirit. And um, we've really, I I don't know how many studies there have been, but uh, we're going to be able to have a... uh, a CD with all the teachings on one CD, so we'll be giving those out, and you can hand those out to people as well, but um, if you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you, and um, we normally just go through a whole book of the Bible at a time, so we're looking forward to starting that um, after the series is over. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, let's begin in verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have led us to study your Holy Spirit and his gifts and his person and his filling and his refilling. And we pray, Lord, that as we finish this last part of it, Lord, that you would be our teacher, that he would be instructing us. And we pray, Lord, that we would hear from you, Lord, uh, individually. We pray that you would provide revelation for us and reveal uh, what you want us to know and what you want us to apply. And not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, Lord. So we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to be humble and teachable right now, whatever you want to speak to us about. We just thank you, Lord, that you have led us to um, cover the whole counsel of God and not just little verses here and there, Lord. So we thank you for the model that you have set out for us in your word. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Excuse me. Concluding this series on the Holy Spirit, today we focus on what some call the office gifts. And they are called the office gifts because they are different than the other gifts in one sense. They equip the rest of the body in a leadership role. And so we've we've looked at the Holy Spirit, his person and work. We've looked at the baptism with the Holy Spirit, we've looked at the refilling of the Spirit, and we've looked at all the individual gifts, and when we're done today, I think we'll have covered 21 different spiritual gifts. But these are just a little bit different, because notice in verse 12, we're told, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we're told there that he himself, in verse 11, that's Jesus himself, Because Paul has just been speaking about the Lord Jesus. That Jesus himself gave. 
So he gave these office gifts to the body of Christ for a specific purpose. I remember teaching in the School of Ministry at Calvary Chapel Modesto when we were covering this, and I said, now, you're not God's gift to the church, <laughs> to these guys. And they're like, yes, we are. Look at that verse. You know, and they're just messing with me. But um, it is true that he gives these, these office gifts to the body of Christ for a specific pers- a purpose. And so apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers are called to equip and edify, which means to build up the saints for a very specific purpose. They have each have, and we'll look at each of them in a minute, but each of these office gifts have a very unique purpose. He could have just called one of these office gifts to exist, but he has four of them there. And, I, and, and so we want to look at those, and they are extremely, extremely needed. I want you to look at the word equipping in verse 12 there, and I want you to understand what that word means. And you can write it in your margin or t- if you're taking notes. It's very important that you know what these office gifts are called to do and what equipping really means. And I've covered it before, but some of you are newer or whatever, or maybe you know we need to be reminded or you've forgotten. But that word equipping is a very specific word. Um, it means to put something in its intended condition. They would use this Greek word when they were describing uh, somebody mending their fishing nets. They would say they mended their nets, and that word mending is the same Greek word that's used here for equipping. Or when the doctor would set a bone, when you'd go out and break a bone, when you were trying to do push-ups as part of the robot, you know, and you'd break a bone, they'd have to set that bone. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, that's an inside joke, so you won't get that. But uh, somebody, you know, breaks their arm and the doctor has to set the bone. He's putting that, that arm back in its intended condition. And so God has an idea about how he wants each one of us to be in our a certain condition, or he wants us to be in a certain spiritual condition. And he's aiming at maturity with each one of our lives. He wants us to be mature. And I've said this many times. He hasn't left it up to us to decide how mature we're going to be. He hasn't. As we take up our cross daily and follow him, that leads ultimately to the level of maturity that he wants for each one of us and what that practically looks like. So we can't say, you know, I'm just, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm happy with how mature I am. I'm blessed. I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for 48 years and I am so content. I'm good. I'm on, I'm on cruise control spiritually. You know, just woo, taking my hands off the wheel and, you know, not putting my foot on the brake or anything. I'm, I'm just going through these motions and I'm bearing fruit and God's using me. He hasn't told us that we can stop growing. He tells us that it's incumbent upon us to keep being yielded to him so that we can grow into maturity. And, and Paul was, look at Paul, the Apostle Paul. He was growing all the way to that last breath. He was getting stretched and he was growing and so forth. And, you know, it's important for us to always have the word of God as the standard because the church is, is in large part, is self-focused in many ways because there's so many self-help teachings out there and you know, having your best life now and all these things that just put the focus on us and so forth. But, you know, the, the church can lower the standard in anything. And we're seeing it in the, the level in the area of holiness 
where the standards are getting lower and lower, what's acceptable for a believer. And if you point out certain verses in God's word, they're like, oh, no, 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 you're, you're being a legalist. You know, um, the culture, the Christian culture says it's okay to do this. And like, no, it, we have to look at only what God says. But that's also true in terms of maturity. What a, what a mature believer looks like is we need to get that definition from the word of God alone and not anyone else. So it's important for us to see that. So these leaders are called to put the body of Christ in its intended condition. So now we want to start with the first one, the first office gift here of apostle. Know any apostles? Okay, you, I, I, I've heard of them. I mean, I've seen people that I would believe in an apostle. I mean, the, there's a question today, you know, are there apostles today? And in a sense, and there there are, but but also there's they have a. Sometimes you may look at it as in terms of they have a different ministry, or their ministry looks a little bit different. Some some uh, would say the same thing about prophets. Are there prophets for today? And some would say absolutely. There are no such thing or apostles and prophets for today because they say that that God used them in a certain way until the Bible was completed. They had this authority that no one else had. And then when the Bible was completed, then the Bible became our authority now. And no man has that kind of authority. And that's true in a sense, in the sense of the scripture is the final, the final testing, uh, the final de- defining book for what anyone says or does. So that, that is true. And so I, when they say, though, that they don't exist, you know, I ask the question. I ask a lot of people when they bring up things that I haven't heard before. I said, you got a verse for that. Sometimes that makes people a little irritated. You have a verse for that. What's your biblical basis for saying that? There's a lot of things that we believe and we take for granted that, are, that are, we believe are true, that there's no verses for that. There's no biblical basis, and we have to be careful. So the scriptures teach that gifting and calling and so forth is without repentance, or without repentance, that, the, the, that God continues to use his gifts, that he doesn't re, re, uh, revoke them. One thing I would say, though, regarding apostles and prophets is that um, they did have a unique place in starting, getting the church going. They had a very foundational uh, place. Turn over a couple chapters to the left to Ephesians 2, and I want you to see this for yourself. We'll come back to Ephesians 4. Let's just go over to Ephesians 2. Look at verse 19. We'll start there. Where we're told this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together that's talking about a spiritual building being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So in verse 20 of of Ephesians 2, it tells us that the apostles and prophets had a unique role in the foundation of the church. But that doesn't mean that they've gone away. It doesn't mean that they don't exist anymore. The important thing to know is that their ministry may not look exactly the same as, they, as it, their ministry did back then. And so they, they, had, they did have a little stronger of a leadership role in the beginning. That's undeniable. But I do make the distinction between apostles today and the 12. 
the first apostles, and, of course, the apostles that came after them. So those men, the, the 12, were uniquely called by Jesus himself. And we, we see in Scripture that, that he prayed all night before he chose them so that we knew that it wasn't by mistake that he chose those guys. You know, the guys that were com- com- competing on who's the greatest. You know, those, those guys that are a lot like us in terms of our carnality and so forth before we came to know the Lord. But Peter in Acts chapter 1, while re- talking about replacing Judas, because Judas had betrayed the Lord, he makes mention of the fact that they, to qualify to be part of the twelve, they had, to be, they had to witness everything from the point of Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist all the way to his ascension into heaven. So not many people qualify for that, obviously. So there's a, there's a difference between the apostles in the twelve and apostles for, um, you know, after that. But there were there are other apostles. There are the, the apostle Paul, um, Barnabas was referred to as an apostle. Timothy was referred to as an apostle. Silas, Apollos, I think Epaphroditus. Um, there's a lot of men that were called apostles because the word apostle means one who is sent. So they were sent out. But that doesn't mean that they were the twelve. It doesn't mean that they were writing scripture and so forth. But they were sent out. They were sent out with an important message, kind of like an ambassador. An ambassador goes out with a message and represents a country and so forth, and they're sent out. And that's what Paul the Apostle was. He didn't even want to be called an apostle. He says, I'm the least of the apostles because of how I persecuted the church. And so that was, that was you know, a very important ministry back then, but it's a very important ministry today. Again, the purpose is to equip the body of Christ, right? All of these office gifts, well, is, is the need for that gone away? No, the need hasn't gone away. So obviously, all those, those office gifts have not gone away. And so that's why we still have apostles today. So what they look like now, though, is they're kind of sent out to evangelize and to plant churches. To Many times we would think of them like missionaries, or we'd call them missionaries, or they go out and they oversee works of God. Sometimes they oversee many works of God, kind of like a, you have a a general manager of a store, then you have a regional manager that's responsible for many stores, that kind of idea, where you have a, a, a leader that's responsible that oversees many works of God in an area, especially in a place that's never had the gospel before and is abroad, potentially. That person, although they don't have the same authority as the original apostles, they're still an apostle in the sense that they are planning churches and overseeing the work of God and so forth and um, it's a beautiful thing. It's very needed. Now, should they be called apostle? I've seen a lot of that. I'm Apostle Pat, and I will not be called anything else. You have to call me Apostle Pat, and I have to enjoy, I have to have a, a Gulfstream, you know, a private jet, 65, you know, $65 million. And of course, an apostle would, what else would an apostle have? I mean, apostles have to have jets, right? And they have to have mansions and all that. Patui, get, get, get out of here. I don't want to hear about it. Anyone, any leader that demands to be called anything is dangerous, first of all. Jesus warned in Matthew 23 about the Pharisees. They love to be called rabbi, and they love to sit in the seat of Moses in the, in the, in the synagogues. You know, man's pride is about titles. But, but God's leaders don't care about titles. They care about God's people and obeying God's calling on their lives. So, you know, I'm not saying no one could ever be called an apostle, but again, if a person's being insisting uh, on any title, then there's 
there's an issue. So now we're told in the passage that these, all these leaders equip the saints. So how does an apostle equip the saints? Every one of them has to equip the saints. An apostle equips the saints by overseeing God's work in an area. Maybe an area of uh, a few different churches or a few different areas of ministry and so forth. And that he's pouring into that ministry and, and helping and training and, and, and providing discernment and seeking the Lord. And not just by himself, but with the groups of people that are directly uh, in the work and, and so forth. And so in that sense, he's equipping the saints. But also, he's calling others to be raised up. He's calling others to step out in faith and, and maybe go. You know, there's, who's going to be our first missionary that, that we send out from our fellowship that goes abroad and, and, and plants a new church or um, continues to oversee an existing work? Who's going to be the first missionaries from our church? I'm ex- I've been praying for that for years. We just have to wait on God's timing, and we don't know who it's going to be, but there's going to be, a, there's going to, it's going to happen. And so that is such an important ministry. So an apostle might come like a missionary, might come and visit and give a report from this pulpit, but encourage you to pray about maybe going and, and being a part of a work overseas or something. That, and that way he's equipping the saints. He's helping them get in their intended condition because they're called. They don't even know it yet, potentially, but they're called to go out and be missionaries and go plant churches and so forth. And so in that sense, the apostle uh, the calling of an apostle is being used in the body of Christ. Now, how do you know if you have this gift? You're one bad dude. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you you uh, send in for certain many box tops, and you get this certificate that says you're an apostle. You know, I, I bet you they have those. Um, crazy. But you have a calling to go. You have a calling to go and oversee the work of God in another place. And, and, and oversee what he's doing and so forth. And you have a calling to see other nations come to know him and so forth. You have a heart for the nations and you, you are called to go and oversee those things. And that's what's on your heart. You love to give to missionaries. You love to give to missions work. You love to see the work of God overseas. The Calvary magazine that we have, you're looking at all the different countries that were represented. And the back of that magazine has all the list of all the missionaries sent out from Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And you're praying for them. And you know, there's all these different ways ways that that you can know that you have this gift and so it's important because again I go through the cost of what we suffer as the body of Christ if you don't walk in your gift well what is the cost for that churches don't get planted overseas works of God doesn't don't get oversaw uh, overseen in other places and so forth you're then, then the body of Christ isn't encouraged to go into all the world to preach the gospel and, and to reach the, 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 the lost and the far ends of, of the earth. That's the cost that we pay as a result of you not stepping out in your calling. Now we get to prophets. What is a prophet? A prophet is one who speaks for God. And I don't believe necessarily that you have the gift of prophecy just because you're a prophet. Or let me say it the other way, just because you... Um, well, actually, that, that's what I meant to say. Just because you have the gift of prophecy doesn't mean that you're a prophet. But, it, you know, if you're a prophet, obviously you're going to prophesy. So we see examples of that in the New Testament. The book of Acts, Agabus was a prophet. And he spoke, and they kind of do some, <laughs> some different things, you know. 
they kind of act out sometimes prophecies, and they, you know, it's, they're fine. They're into the drama stuff. That's fine. You want to act it out? That's fine. Give me a message from God. I don't care if you act it out or not. Draw it on a piece of paper, whatever, telegram, whatever you want. I just want my message from God. So, but it was a leadership role, uh, as I mentioned, and um, it's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily just foretelling. Agabus foretells. In the, in, in the book of Acts. It's not just predicting the future. It's speaking on behalf of God. It's speaking on behalf of his heart, communicating his heart for someone, to someone, or for a group in general. So it doesn't necessarily have to um, be predictive in nature, but it definitely can. We see that in Scripture. I try to think of an example. like, And you might think of like maybe Franklin Graham as a prophet, because he's kind of like an elder statesman that speaks on behalf of the body of Christ. Some people refer to him as a prophet. Um, some people refer to K.P. Ohanan, you know, as a prophet who oversees gospel for Asia. But they more see him more as an apostle because he's overseeing thousands of works overseas and so forth. You know, so it's, it's there. It can, it, it's there for the body of Christ. It doesn't go away. We still need to be equipped. And so how do, how do um, prophets equip the saints? By stirring us up. By telling us what we need to hear from God. Sometimes, you know, we see in the, with, the, with the gift of prophecy that it's supposed to provide comfort and edification and comfort to men. So it has to be encouragement. It has to be building us up and so forth. But a prophet sometimes can say some confrontive things that are a little bit more exhortive and so forth. And that's what the ministry was in the Old Testament where they would, they would warn the people and so forth. So that can be um, part of the ministry of of a prophet. So they're called to equip the saints in the sense of to tell what God to tell people what God says. And of course it's not going to contradict the Bible. It's going to be right in line with the Bible. Um, but we need to heed those um, prophets and so forth. So how do you know that you have it you, you have a heart for telling people what God's heart is? You want to ex- express to them what his heart is in terms of what he thinks about them, what, how, what he wants them to, to know about his word and so forth. And you have no problem speaking it to anybody. You don't fear man. You'll speak to anybody that God puts you in front of. And so that's a very important ministry because the cost of that, what's the cost? You won't hear from God. We won't have that leadership role telling us what God is saying, telling us kind of seeing trends of what's going on in the body of Christ. Prophets see the whole body of Christ clearly and can see different areas in the body that need to, to do certain things and so forth or maybe repent of certain things. And they're, they're aware of the big picture in the body of Christ. So there's a tremendous cost to it. So if you're a prophet, I want to know about it. I want to know if you're a prophet among us and you'll be tested, just like all these gifts are tested, but um, it's a very important, needed gift today. Next is evangelist. What is an evangelist? First of all, we don't see any gift of evangelism. We hear that all the time in the body of Christ. There's, we don't see any gift of evangelism. We see the evangelists, but we don't see the gift of evangelists. First of all, we're all called to obey the Great Commission and preach the gospel that includes every single person, of every one of us. Every one of us are called to not be ashamed and preach that gospel to those that God puts before us and so forth. But an evangelist is a leader in the body of Christ that is called, that is very gifted in preaching that gospel. Very, very gifted. And it just, people are coming to faith all the time around them. They're just, and they, they sometimes can think that they don't have any special gift 
All the rest of the body of Christ could do the same thing if they, were, they would just do it. And that's, I told you before, that that's kind of the downside to some of our spiritual gifts is that we can be highly critical that the rest of the body of Christ isn't doing enough of whatever gift we have. If we had the gift of mercy, we don't think the body of Christ is merciful enough. If we have the gift of giving, we don't think that the body of Christ is giving enough. Or, you know, it goes on to exhortation or teaching and so forth. So um, an evangelist is someone supernaturally gifted to preach that gospel. I would say that Philip in the New Testament is an example of an evangelist. He was also what we call a deacon. But he went to Samaria and preached the gospel and had a, God used him greatly to preach the gospel. But then God used him in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. Or after all his success that he had and so forth in Samaria, God told him to go to the desert. Didn't tell him how long he was going to be there. Didn't tell him what he's going to be doing there. Just said, go to the desert. So he went down there, and then he saw the Ethiopian eunuch, and he preached the gospel, explained the book of Isaiah to, to the, the Ethiopian eunuch who had that scroll opened up, and that, the, that uh, person received Christ and baptized him and so forth. So that's a great, great calling if somebody has that so they they get a lot of times evangelists will travel back in the 40s and 50s there was a lot of tent ministry a tent revival ministries all through the the valley here in 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 california and around around the country and they would go and go from tent to tent they would preach the gospel and they would have a tent meeting for you know a week and so forth and people would come and get saved and so forth but that still happens today you have Greg Laurie, who is an evangelist. He's also a pastor teacher, but he's also an evangelist. So he'll have the Carvest Crusades and so forth. Or Luis Palau. He has these big things. Or Raul Reese has the Somebody Loves You Crusades. Or people that just that, that aren't as uh, well-known that go around from church to church. And churches will have special meetings where people are encouraged to bring the lost and they preach the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. But they don't just preach the gospel. They equip and exhort the rest of the body of Christ to evangelize as well. And that's a beautiful, needed ministry. Because we need to be exhorted to preach the gospel. You know, we've been given, so to speak, a vaccine against something that's so deadly. It has an eternal consequence. And we can be so hard-hearted that we could not be interested in everyone else around us that's dying of that condition ever getting that vaccine. We would never do that in real life, would we? We would never hold back a vaccine. People were dying all around us. We would make sure that they got it. Well, this is eternal consequences that we're talking about. Spiritual, eternal consequences if people don't receive Christ. And we can be so spiritually out of tune that we, could, we couldn't care less at times whether or not people come to know him. I recently, as you know, repented of some apathy that the Lord found in my heart towards that outside of the church that for me and just being around people and not thinking eternal souls are around me and so forth and and you know he's still working on me but all of us need that equipping and that encouragement and we'll we will have guys come in at times that will teach us about evangelism that will encourage us to share our faith and that's how they equip the body of christ what's the cost if if you're here and you're god's calling you to be an evangelist then you don't step out in that for one, people not hearing the gospel, but also the, the, the body of Christ won't be equipped or exhorted to step out and obey the Great Commission. Remember, it's not the great suggestion, as it's been said. It's the Great Commission. It's a command. All of us are either disobeying it or obeying it in, at some level. 
And so he's calling all of us to grow in that. And so there's a huge, huge cost to not walking in that leadership calling of an evangelist if, if that is you. And if that, you think that you have that calling, let us know. We want to pray with you. We want to help equip you. We want to help you grow in your calling. Now, I've saved the last uh, pastor-teacher there. And so why am I not saying pastors and teachers uh, like the text says? Notice he says there, um, if we read it back in Ephesians 4, he says he gave, notice the word some repeats. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors. And then notice it doesn't say some after the word pastors. It doesn't say some pastors and some teachers. It says and there. And it's really important to know from the original language that there's a different Greek word there that means like a hyphen. So it's, it's talking about pastors and teachers. It's talking about the same person there because of the language there. So there, sometimes we hear about the five-fold ministry. But if you look at the original language, it's really fourfold. Pastors and teachers is really pastor-teachers. So that's why I keep saying it that way. So just because you have the gift of teaching does not mean that you're called to be a pastor. God has teachers that he raises up to teach in different capacities. But if you are called to be a pastor, then you will be a teacher. You, you will have the gift of teaching. In fact, that's one of the qualifications for an overseer in Timothy and Titus is the gift of teaching. So God knows that the sheep need to be fed. He said to Peter, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. He said, if you love me, tend my lambs. He didn't say, if you love me, multiply my sheep. If you love me, beat my sheep. If you love me, you know, uh, guilt my sheep. He didn't say any of those things. It's amazing how many pastors don't understand that they're calling, their pastor teachers are called to be feeders, to, to feed, to, to teach the, God's people and to tend them, to care for them. He doesn't tell them to build the church. He said he would build the church. He hasn't called them to multiply sheep. He hasn't called them to, to motivate them. That's what the Holy Spirit's for is to work and, and teach and lead God's people. So it's sad to me that a lot of pastors are out there and they say, I'm not really into teaching, I'm into preaching. And see, that's based on tradition. That's all they've ever heard. But if you look at the New Testament, preaching is always associated with the gospel. There's only one time where, where it, doesn't, it isn't like that, where it says, preach the word. He said that to Timothy. But all the other cases, it says, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Never talks about preaching the Bible in that sense. Because preaching just means proclaim. So we're proclaiming or heralding the message of the good news when we preach the gospel. So like in Calvary Chapel, they say, you know, preach the gospel, teach the word. So, some, so that's unfortunate that some pastors don't understand that. And so all they want to do is do motivational t- speaking with quoting a, a few Christian ideas or a few verses and then call it preaching and somehow that's what they're called to. No, God's called them to be a teacher. God's called them to feed the sheep. That's why they're, they're called pastor teachers. So it's sad to me why, you know, that there's, there's not more teaching pastors. Sometimes we categorize, well, I'm a teaching pastor and, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not, you know, <laughs> and I do this kind of thing. No, you're called to teach the Bible. So what's included in the calling of a, of a pastor teacher? First of all, a supernatural love for God's people. 
It's all about them. And I talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about the gift of leading. It's all about the people. It's not supremely to have a need met in your life. And when people talk about teaching, and, all, and sometimes all they're talking about is in terms of what they're doing and how they are getting fulfillment from being up in front of God's people and being the one up there and so forth, and that's, that's a danger sign. That's a red flag. It needs to be all about God's people. A supernatural love for God's people will do things that someone without that calling will never do. They won't sacrifice for them. They won't lay down their lives for them. They won't be hurt by them. Uh, sometimes that's part of it. They won't have spiritual discernment for them. They will quit when things get extremely difficult and they have to pay a, a cost. Uh, someone that's called to be a pastor teacher will hang in there by God's grace. And it will be all about God and all about his people instead of all about them. So when we're looking and we're keeping our eyes out for uh, pastors and so forth. Of course, we're looking at the necessary, you know, character developments laid out in, or requirements laid out in Scripture. Um, one of the things that we watch for, and I watch for, is how much they love the sheep, and how far does that love go? What are they willing to sacrifice? Are they wanting to? Be, some, it's amazing. Sometimes people say, oh, "I'm called to be a pastor teacher," but they don't really want to be around God's people. <laughs> it's like they're the first ones to leave. You know, they don't want to hang out. They don't want to be at the Gape Feast. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to be inconvenienced. They don't want to be around people. And if you're going to be a pastor teacher, you have to love God's people. And you don't supply that. God supplies that. If you have that calling, God supplies that calling. I mean, that love. I, did, I wasn't a people person. That's why I didn't understand it when he, in 1991 when he called me to be a pastor. He told me I was going to be a pastor. I was very surprised. I was very offended. I'm, I, 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 I was like, I don't really care for people, God. You know that that's something that's important. You know, I don't really want to be around people at all. Just the, my close friends, yes, but that's it. Called, and so maybe that's why it took 12 years before I started to be a pastor. But now I'm addicted to you. I am. I've told the leaders, I said, if it ever gets so bad where we have to cohabitate, I'm going to be totally thrilled. You won't, you won't be happy having to live with me, but I will love living with you because I just want to be around you all the time. You know, and it's, it's true. It's, it's only the love that God can provide. And so we also look at, are they servants? Are they, no, I just do the teaching thing. I don't, I don't clean toilets. I don't vacuum. I don't stack chairs. I don't, that's not, I'm not called to be a janitor. Well, you know, the Lord Jesus wasn't called to wash feet in the sense of his, his, you know, what would be normally expected from the Messiah. But he got down and washed dirty, sandy, gritty. They didn't give a warning. You know, foot washing services, people have the cleanest feet you could ever imagine because they know someone's going to be looking at their feet. Well, these disciples didn't have any clue that the Messiah, the God-man, God in human flesh, was going to get down and wash their feet, which was the job of the lowest servant at that time in that culture. The lowest servant in the house would, would wash feet. So I, we look at, are they servants? Of course they have to be able to teach. They have to have a supernatural love for God's word. So that's important. Jesus talked about the hireling and the one that lays his life down for the sheep. And a hireling is someone that's doing it as a job, someone that's doing it because they have to, not because they get to. 
the, 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 the funds that they receive are at equal exchange for services. I don't get any of that. I do what I do because I've been called to do it. Whether I ever get paid or not, I, and there's been times where I haven't gotten paid, I, I, I do it because I've been called to do it, and I love God's people. And so that's what a true pastor teacher uh, is like. And how do they equip? They feed, they tend, they, they help people grow. They say the necessary things even when people don't want to hear it. But you don't always want, do you know this about yourself and about me? That we don't always want to hear what God's word says related to what, how, what we're lacking in our lives. We don't want to hear it always. But a pastor or a leader that tells us those things in a loving way is taking a risk by saying that. As I said last week, receive it, be humble. Recognize that, there, that there's a price that's paid for being open and honest. How do you know if you have the calling of a pastor teacher? Again, the supernatural love for his people is the first thing. And also a supernatural love for God's word. And you just hear God tell you, <laughs> I've called you to be a pastor. Just like any of these things, you have to hear from God on it. But I've seen people convinced that they were called to be a pastor, but they had hardly any love for God's people. And they weren't growing in it at all or anything like that. They just want to be important. They think that that's an important thing, and so they want to be a person of importance. And so, yes, I always know I've been destined for greatness, so I must need to be a pastor teacher. <laughs> no, it's not true. Especially in other cultures, they're the first ones to get persecuted. They're the first ones to get taken out in China or Iran or Iraq. And so, you know, my brother-in-law just went to Iraq to, to help teach pastors about how to study the Bible. And, you know, they've just gotten decimated by ISIS and so forth. And, you know, they're the number one target. There's not a line of people waiting to be pastors there because they have a target on their, their back. So if you sense that you have a calling to be a pastor teacher, please, we'd like to know about it. We want to help you grow. As you know, we're going to be starting the School of Pastoral Ministry in September for that purpose. There's going to be men that come from all over the place to come for that discipleship. But they're also coming for any of these callings that they, they, they may have, not just pastor, teacher. I want to close by reading um, again verse 16 to lay out the other part. Remember, I talked about two pillars. Because the church is called to be a disciple-making place. And there's two pillars. The first pillar we've already looked at with the leaders that are equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That's the, whole, that's the first pillar. The second pillar is verse 16. It's a good way to sum up our series on the gifts of the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Notice God's goal there in the middle of verse 16. Causes growth. That's what God wants. He wants every single one of us to keep growing. And again, disciple making happens in two ways when the church comes together. It, it happens by the leadership, as we saw, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And ministry is work. <laughs> and then verse 16, notice he says, the whole body. And then notice the two times the word every appears. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. And then he says, by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So he's called us all to use our spiritual gifts to build one another up. Each one of these gifts that we've gone through, all 21 gifts, are very important. 
And if we fail to walk in those gifts, and this is the biggest problem I've seen. I've you know, been in the church and known the Lord for 25 years. Related to spiritual gifts, the number one problem I see in, in, in my own heart and in other people's lives is people know they have a gift or two, and they're content with those gifts, and they don't seek the Lord for more. And I've seen so many believers say, you know what, I've been massively used in one gift or two gifts or whatever, and, and I forgot to keep seeking him for th- there may be more. And I've seen believers go and find out they have, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine gifts because they sought him on it and they, and they prayed and God confirmed that. And now they're being used two to three to four times more than they were before just because they stopped assuming that God only gave them one or two gifts. That's from the Holy Spirit. God has revealed that. If, you, if you're here today and you have never sought any more than the one or two gifts that you believe that you have, that was what he's speaking to us today. Let's, let's seek him. Let's see what he has for us. Let's function biblically how the church is supposed to function. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this series.